0: You're listening to the Reversing Climate Change podcast by the team at Nori, the carbon removal marketplace. This is a show about the innovators and entrepreneurs developing solutions to climate change. Hello and welcome to the Reversing Climate Change podcast. My name is Alexandra Guerra
1: and I'm Ross Kenyon. Hello, thanks for listening, thanks for tuning in. If you like the show, please rate it in iTunes or Apple Podcasts, give us a great uh, rating and review. It helps a lot, we would be very grateful. If you like the show, please help us get their word out about carbon removal and reversing climate change. Today we have with us Zoya Tierstein who is a news writer or politics reporter, depending on who you ask, at Grist (laughs) here in Seattle. Thanks for being convenient and living near us, Zoya. Oh, my pleasure. (laughs) It was always nice when we have someone in our backyard. We found your writing. We were looking through it and said we had to have Zoya on to come explain to us all of the different climate policies of all of the primary contenders. I can't keep track of them. I'm sure it's even hard for you as a professional oh, there.
2: I have a cheat sheet here. Yeah, it's going to help sheet. me out.
1: Oh, that's <laughs> good. So, well, when we start with your story, tell us how you came to be doing what you're doing.
2: Sure. Yeah. Well, I was in college and I read a story about the drought in Syria and how there were climate factors at play there and how the civil war was actually, you know, birthed by this huge drought and farmers were crowding cities and I was like. This is crazy. And the article was written that I was reading about it was written so well and interestingly that I wanted to keep reading to the very end, which is rare for a college student. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I was busy with doing other stuff, but I wanted to read that article. So, And I looked at, at who wrote it, and it was an article from Grist. And that's when I decided that I wanted to work at Grist.
1: Oh my God. I think Paula sent me that same one. And that was one of the early ones that got me interested in climate change as well. Okay.
2: Well, that article, we should put it in the Grist Hall of Fame. Um, And I got an internship after graduating from NYU, where I went to the Gallatin School and I studied. I made my own major, which is reporting on climate change. Very nice. (laughs) So I found a job in exactly what I wanted to do, which is lucky. And now I live in Seattle and I write for Grist. I'm their news writer, started as an intern, then I was an editorial assistant. And now, yep, here I am.
1: That's great. And why is this all happening right now, Zoya? Why is climate change all over the presidential debates? How did this all, did it feel, Alessandra, like it just dropped out of nowhere? Like climate change just started being the thing that everyone's talking about all the time?
0: I don't know. I, feel, I don't feel like I can say that because I've been thinking about climate change since I was 15 and mm-hmm. it was called global warming at the time. But It's to me kind of like, oh, yeah, we've been talking about the same thing over and over and it was always a big issue. And then all of a sudden now everybody cares. I'm like, okay, it's kind of stupid because I feel like that kid who discovered that artist
2: really early and you're like, I loved Evanescence since before they were cool. (laughs) That's how grist the entire organization feels like right now.
0: Yeah. It's like, yeah. okay, welcome to my world, everybody. Now let me tell you a little bit.
2: Yeah. It's funny. I was in a I was at a bar the other night and this guy next to me was telling me that climate change is just not in the cultural zeitgeist right now. And I was like, "But it is. For the first time, mm. it is in the cultural zeitgeist. And, you know, very pretentious to use that complicated word to describe what's going on. Right. But yeah, it's happening now. There's no other moment. And there's a variety of factors that are at play with that. I'll start with just a few. The first is that Trump took office and has been rolling back a bunch of regulations, has wanted to withdraw from the Paris Climate Agreement, and has basically declared war on the environment. A lot of people are galvanized by that and also by a slew of other things that he's done. It's not just climate change, immigration and abortion, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I think that people are ready to fight in a new, or sort of they're, they're burning to do something in a new way. That might not have even happened if Clinton had clinched the presidency.
1: We've often seen that as a silver lining, though, that companies realize that maybe the federal government isn't going to do it and that they're going to need to step up and they can claim some legitimacy for their brand by doing that. So in some ways, pulling out of Paris has been good to encourage companies to not just wait for the government to solve everything. And
0: individuals, too.
1: Yeah, and individuals, too. But maybe you don't see it that way. Maybe this is just that isn't a silver lining as far as <laughs> I, you're concerned. I would
2: be hesitant to call it withdrawing from that agreement good in any way. But first of all, we haven't even withdrawn yet. So if someone else takes the White House in 2020, we need to recommit is what they say, because it's complicated to withdraw from an agreement. There's legal issues at play. So, yeah, I mean, I agree that there is something to be said for for the feeling right now people are feeling and I'm more inspired by the, like you said, the people who are getting galvanized by this, less by companies per se, but I'm also on the journalist side. I'm not working in the private sector. There are a lot of companies who have stepped up, which has been cool to watch. Um, and some companies also who have pretended to step up and have continued their their <laughs> <noble> pre- tradition <laughs> yes. in, in this space. VP, yeah. I'm talking to you. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, okay. So let me, let me talk a little bit more about the other issues um, at play and, and, and what's happening. There's been this widespread youth movement also, I think galvanized in part by the election in 2016. Um, and these folks, they're a lot younger than people who have traditionally championed, public lands and the environment and nature and conservation in the past. And they're framing the issue in sort of more moral terms and made it a little more urgent. So instead of saying, save the polar bears, they're saying, save us. Mm. And that's been having more of a of an effect on the public, I think. There's also a Latina from the Bronx who was elected uh, who, what, recently. Who, who, who is that? Yeah, oh, I've you heard may heard have heard of her. Her, her name is uh, known as AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And she uh, sort of one-upped this incumbent, Mr. Crowley, and um, she's championing something called the Green New Deal. I think that's also played a role, maybe less big than other things, like, for example, scientists getting a little more urgent about what exactly is going to happen. There's a couple of reports that came out recently that have added to this sense of urgency around climate change. Uh, The IPCC has come out with a report that says we have a certain window of time to address the crisis or else that window closes and uh, we're sort of locked into some pretty severe effects.
0: And that window of time being about 12 years.
2: You know, the 12 year piece, it's a little tricky. There is no concrete deadline. Really, the, the deadline I'm looking at is the next couple of years to actually take severe action mm. to curtail what's happening. Emissions, maybe you guys can talk about, I mean, that's your specialty, carbon removal. I don't know as much about that as maybe I should. Uh, we'll get into that later. But yeah, so I, I think the timeline, it depends who you talk to. And scientists have said, you know, 12 years could, could at this point, it's 11 years now, could be a, a good way to think about it. But also, you know, which just the point is we have around a decade to figure things out. And the, the sooner we move now, the better in the long term.
0: And then also a couple months after the IPCC report came out in September of last year, there was the report that came out on Black Friday from the yeah. Trump administration talking and acknowledging climate change and the impacts.
2: Can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, thank you for asking me that question. That is my pride and joy at Grist. So when that report came out, the administration tried to bury it and it did not work at mm-hmm. Grist.org. We did this region by region study. I headed that up. That the that sort of like a, a report on the report. We broke down, the report basically showed how each region of the United States is going to be affected by climate change. So it's not universal. There's no like effect that touches the whole country in the same way. Right. Different regions have flooding, different regions have more rainfall, different regions have uh, severe drought, severe heat. So we broke that down and, and readers really responded to that. I mean, people are curious, like what's really going to happen? We're, we're hearing these extreme phrases, climate breakdown, et cetera. But What does that mean for me? And that report made it pretty clear. Now, I want to add one more thing that the Trump administration is now trying to curtail the next report and stop it at the year 2040. So clearly, (laughs) that's going to be an issue because 2040 is when the really severe consequences of, of warming really kick in. So we need to know what's going to happen past that point, too.
1: Wow. Well, you clearly know your stuff, Soya. So, we want to have you walk us through exactly what's happening with all of the candidates, which there there are so many. So least, many. <laughs> I, I keep seeing articles. I'm like, who is this again? I don't know. But there's a couple front runners at least so far. And then there's a bunch of people who are you know, near the, the bottom of the polls, but still have interesting things to say and to contribute to the conversation. And I don't know how you want to do this, Soya, but why don't we start right at the top of this list that I (laughs) penned hazardously, not knowing how to rank or or, or order these people. Joe Biden.
2: Joe Biden.
1: Yeah, Diamond Joe. What's he he doing? (laughs) The
2: lover of ice cream. Have yeah. you guys seen that? He like loves ice cream no. so much. That's like his thing. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> you have to look up Joe Biden ice cream. It's just him just holding <laughs> cone after cone. The cone after cone? Okay. I get uh, it. Ice cream is pretty dope. It's pretty check the, hilarious. Check the show notes, people. <laughs> uh, yeah, Joe Biden. So Joe Biden was the front runner long before he entered the race. And so as Obama's vice president, he kind of tagged along for a lot of Obama's climate policy which was, in many ways, in all-of-the-above climate policy. So that kind of gives us an idea of, of where uh, Joe Biden was. So that meant, like, renewables, natural gas, some nuclear, and just a real mix. So they weren't super discerning about, about uh, which energies they were going to use. Renewable energy grew under Obama, but also so did fracking and natural gas. So um, there were some activists who were wary of joe biden before he entered the race and what his climate plan would be now there's a whole drama that unfolded with this situation with joe Biden. i love the way that you tell
0: this by the way i just want to watch you and listen to you give me can i just have you on the news every day
2: (laughs) oh it would be my pleasure but i have to also write it (laughs) which is the harder part yeah there was drama so here's what happened so joe biden basically this report these two uh officials working for the Biden campaign released this information that said that, you know, he was going to take a middle of the road approach to climate change. That was a Reuters report. So I don't know. The sources on that were a little shaky, but it's clear that for a minute there, it seemed as though Joe Biden was going to, you know, continue the Obama era energy mix, sort of maybe possibly all of the above situation. And activists were not happy. So there's this activist movement called the Sunrise Movement. I don't know if you guys have heard of them. No. 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 Oh my god. I'm
0: not plugged into the political oh, space, girl, which I will plug explain
2: <laughs> later. <laughs> plug in plug into we'll, the uh, we'll renewable energy. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. The so the sun just a little bit of background. The Sunrise Movement has been working with, with AOC on the Green New Deal. And they are pushing people really hard on climate change. They're part of the reason why a lot of the candidates have committed to climate plans this early this group this is, is
1: the, they got in the fight with nancy pelosi and she, oh yeah it's okay, so extra drama
2: and diane feinstein and mitch mcconnell and a whole bunch of other politicians they show up they don't give up they're youth led it's hard to say no to youth mm-hmm. diane feinstein can attest to that she said no and then suffered the political consequences mm-hmm. i don't know if she will in the next election but people are pretty pissed I'm not going to get into that now. I'm going to stay on topic. So the Sunrise Movement kind of came out and was like, Joe Biden, do better. Middle of the road is not enough. AOC said middle of the road is not enough. Bernie Sanders came out, too. There was like kind of widespread condemnation. And so Joe Biden last week, I believe. Yes, last week. Wow, these weeks seem very long. Came out with a a pretty ambitious climate plan. Um, And I have the details here. So he goes, like most of the other candidates who have released plans, there's about five or six of them. He aims to go net zero emissions by 2050. And he really aims to go sort of beyond what the Green New Deal laid out, the resolution that AOC and Ed Markey laid out in February. Except for he's not including the more like kind of out there aspects of the plan. So he's not including like a federal jobs guarantee or universal health care. That's not going to be part of his plan, but he does have a pretty, pretty fleshed out plan. So the idea is to galvanize uh, $1.7 trillion dollars in public spending for the climate. And then also mobilize $3.3 trillion from the private sector, which equals out to like, you know, he's going to... The goal is five a $5 trillion climate plan from, from him, which is very similar to what Beto O'Rourke, by the way, mm-hmm. um, released earlier.
1: Can I just ask a clarifying question really quickly? Sure. What does it mean for all of the above and, and why is that so controversial?
2: It's controversial because all of the above includes natural gas and possibly occasionally coal. It's clear that most candidates are going to phase out coal. It's already being phased out. It's kind of a a dying industry. And there's opportunity there to transition workers to the green economy, to green energy. That in of itself is a controversial statement. So there's a lot at play. But uh, all of the above. So have you guys heard about these reports that the natural gas, the fracking industry has been sort of like downplaying the amount of methane that they've been releasing to the atmosphere? There's all this flaring going on and venting. and So it's, it's sort of an issue. Yeah, I've seen some of this. Yeah, the industry um, is not doing a good job of of self-regulating and not doing a good job at clamping down on emissions. And methane, as you probably know, is much more potent than CO2 in the short term in 100-year timescale. So the fact that there's tons of methane being released by the fracking industry is not great, especially because we're kind of on this fast track towards imminent destruction, not to be pessimistic about it.
1: (laughs) You're bringing the drama now. (laughs) It's making climate change sounds so scary.
2: Uh, yeah, not, not to scare anyone, but, you know, you should be a little scared at this point, I think. But yeah, anyway, so that's why all of the above. I mean, you know, clearly you can't just phase off of fossil fuels immediately. It requires time. But there is to some extent, you know, people are upset that, that fracking needs to be better curtailed and, and people want it to be eventually phased out.
1: I derailed you pretty good though. You were you were on something. Real you got you finishing me. up Joe Biden. Oh, Joe
2: Biden's drama. Okay. So Joe Biden, uh, yeah, so he came out with this kind of like ambitious climate report. And then just today, when we're recording this podcast, he came out in support of a climate debate. Now, if you're not following the climate debate situation, Jay Inslee, the governor of Washington State, has been calling for a climate debate in addition to the Sunrise Movement, who I just kind of described to you guys in like a hectic paragraph. And they're all, they're all calling for sort of the, the candidates to get on stage and discuss the single greatest threat to humanity is the framing that activists are, and, and Jay Inslee are using. And the DNC, which is in charge of hosting the debates, there's going to be like a dozen debates, said, no, we're not going to do that.
0: That's so stupid. Well, Sorry, I usually don't judge things as stupid, but go ahead. <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm being stupid.
2: No, I don't think you're being stupid. You know, it's hard to say with the DNC. I think that they are convinced that they're right. And the reasoning goes like this: If we give climate change the spotlight for a whole debate, then that's not fair. What about healthcare? What about mm. gun reform? What about jobs? So it's kind of like if we give you a cookie, then we have to give everyone a cookie, and and then everyone gets cookies, and that's when we're left cookieless. So that's right. I, that's like The sorry. reasoning, okay. no, but there's well, there's reason. I see there's reason, but here's the thing. And I just tweeted about this <laughs> before coming in. Yes, it's a single issue, but it's an issue that touches all other issues to some extent. So mm-hmm. that's the first. Thing. Food security, health, everything. Everything. Yeah. It t- mm-hmm. It's going to touch everything. The second thing is that 14 candidates at this point, by the latest count, have endorsed a climate debate, including Joe Biden mm-hmm. just today. Mm-hmm. No one else, I, to the best of my knowledge, that has not happened for a health care debate, a gun reform debate, a jobs debate. So, you know, it's kind of like, why not just have one if everyone's in support?
0: And if you think about it too, the climate, there are so many sectors too. If we're talking about government and private intersection, like you have industries, whether it's agriculture, whether it's oil and gas, like it's not just like healthcare, okay? And then you have digital, there's so much into it. So, I. I would love to see this debate happen. I'm like dreaming about it now in my head. What do we have to do? Do we have to get onto Twitter right now?
1: I think it might be unique because all the other issues you've named, the the battle lines between the parties are super old, right? Like Mm -hmm. we all know how everyone feels about guns, depending on your party affiliation. We all know how you feel about minimum wage or health care or whatever the issue is. The environment and climate change specifically are newer and it feels like the the lines are newer-ish or at least, yeah. It isn't nearly as as drawn. And it seems like that's shifting more than perhaps other of those issues that feel more decided to me. Mm. Is that is that just me applying some wrong judgment upon to this?
2: Well, like, okay, so I don't know. How are we judging the time scale for that? Because climate change has been politically divisive since the 90s. Mm-hmm. But I mean, other issues have been divisive for a long
1: time. But at least now, you, it seems like there are Republicans who are taking it seriously, and Absolutely. it isn't just—it isn't just—it doesn't seem as simple as like left and, and right as much as it once was.
2: Yeah, there's still a good amount of oil money at play. Mm-hmm. Okay, as there always so, is. So I am wrong. Well, but
1: it it's appears. Not, no, it's not—it's <laughs>
0: not just oil money at play, and and I'd I maybe. Should ask you like what you mean by that, but even on the right side, I think that there are people who they believe that this is a false dichotomy between conservative government and believe in climate change, and there's reason to believe that the reason why it's on the left is because okay, we've attached what the solution is, which is more government to climate change, and so that has left a lot mm. of people who believe in climate change who are just believe in smaller governments out in the cold. And now I'm hoping that, well, we can't really see that with Trump exactly running because he's the president. But at some point, it would be nice to see, OK, like, what's the climate debate for all candidates, right? Mm. So if we didn't have a second term president rerunning, then we could see, OK, what are the Republicans believing are the solutions for climate change in this climate debate? What are the Democratic? And we could talk about that issue on both sides.
2: Totally. I mean, I disagree with you only slightly. I think that we might be both right, and I'll explain why. So, I'll explain why I think I'm right first. So, um, (laughs) oh,
1: very convenient.
2: Yes, conservation is a Republican issue. Teddy Roosevelt, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You you know, Ronald Reagan, Nixon. Mm -hmm. Yes. There is a a long history there. And one of my first projects at Grist when I was just still an intern was writing about the eco right. I don't know if you guys heard about the eco right. You should have them on your podcast. uh, Republican and pro climate action. There's this guy named Todd Tanner, and he brings a brand new shotgun in Montana up to the front of town hall meetings and offers it to anyone who can prove, give him real scientific proof that climate change isn't real. And he told me he has yet to have to give his shotgun away. He's changing minds one person at a time. I love that. Yeah,
1: it's cute. What a story. Okay. got to look into this guy, Todd Tanner.
2: Yeah. So there, anyway, there's growing consensus on the right, especially among hunters, fishers, anglers, that something has to be done about climate change because it affects the land that they use to hunt, fish, and angle on. Mm-hmm. So yeah, at the same time, for example, my money in politics comment about big oil. Mm-hmm. There was an initiative up for a vote in Washington state, 1631, about a carbon tax And there was pretty broad consensus among people that it was a good tax. Big Oil swept in and spent millions of dollars to defeat the tax, more than the billionaires on the left who were spending money to support it. And as a result, it failed, at least in part because of that money that was spent. So. Oh, I'm just
0: like, I have, (laughs) I I hear you. And there's like all these things that are at play. And and definitely what like there was a lot more money spent to defeat against the bill. Uh, I also just didn't vote for it. I voted against it because I didn't understand where the money was going to go. It wasn't clear enough to me. I thought that the price on the carbon was too low. It started at $15. I asked someone who was at a debate, you know, why did you pick $15 a ton? Oh, well, his answer was equivalent to like sticking your finger in the air. And then I like I love the idea, but it wasn't there
2: yet. Huh. So so your solution to it not being there yet is just not to vote for it. and then we-
0: oh, oh, no. To, to come up with a better plan that um, is more aggressive on hmm. carbon.
2: I thought it was going to be
0: more harmful to do a little bit of good and win now than it would be to get something
2: right. Well, so the good news is that uh, this can segue into me talking about another candidate, if that's okay, You're Jay my Inslee. my super easy. So Jay Inslee, I recently interviewed, he's the governor of Washington, for those who don't know, mm-hmm. and he's a Democrat. He's running for president. He's polling at 1%. When I told him that he was polling at 1%, I informed him of that. He said, solid. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. So he's got sort of a folksy charm. And he uh, sort of regrouped after 1631 failed. And basically, he told me that, you know, if something's not working, you try a different tactic. And that's what he did in Washington State. And Washington State just passed, legislature just passed a really comprehensive suite of clean energy bills aimed at cars, building efficiency, and 100% renewable energy in the energy sector. So, yeah, I mean, if at first you don't succeed, try something different. And that's what he did. And he's running with that behind him now. So, Jay Inslee has, I believe, um, after reading his impossibly long climate platform policy uh, rollouts, that he has one of the most comprehensive climate plans out of all of the candidates so far. And what's interesting about that is that even though he's polling so low and his chance of becoming president are really low. (laughs) come Come on, Jay. I know. Well, (laughs) you know, I mean... It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) You know, not everyone, not always, the underdog doesn't always win. Uh, And that's okay in some cases. But his effect on the primary has been, he's running as the climate candidate. That's his whole issue, climate change, is that he has inspired a bunch of other candidates to really step up their game when it comes to rolling out their own proposals. And we saw that with Joe Biden's climate plan. He plagiarized a bit of information from other climate proposals um, and other uh, campaigns, which was a little bit of a scandal, but his campaign had a solution to that. And, you know, they, anyway, they said that they've just forgot attribution. And it, it's not really, it's sort of a blip on my radar. I'm not like super worried yeah. about that. But yeah. So I think that Jay Inslee, who has a very, so he, he basically is, is hoping to mobilize $9 trillion in spending to combat the climate crisis. Mm. And not only that, but he and Joe Biden, and now a little bit Elizabeth Warren, actually kind of a lot Elizabeth Warren, she always comes out of left field with a great proposal. I don't know what. Her team walkie. must stay up at all night. Yeah,
1: they seem like they're very detail-oriented. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. They're nerds, guaranteed. It'd
2: <laughs> be nice to have a nerd nerd for president. Oh, yeah, yeah. Not, not an endorsement, but, you know, someone who's nerdy would be nice. So he has a, a $9 trillion climate change plan, and part of that includes, and this is where Joe Biden and him overlap, includes a international component that is super important because the U.S. is not the only country that emits right. pollution. China, for one, is, is a major player in that arena. Yeah. And so those two candidates, and I think this is something that's super interesting that I really want to impress upon your podcast listeners, the many of them who are, who are listening right now. The Paris Agreement is sort of the best vehicle for making sort of an international plan and consensus on bringing down emissions is what people believe. It's already in place. So basically, recommitting to that and regalvanizing support for that Joe Biden and Jay Inslee say is crucial. And uh, what Joe Biden says is that if China and other countries that emit a lot major polluters don't play ball, they're going to impose tariffs, the US is going to impose tariffs and, and other economic sort of sanctions to get them to behave.
0: Interesting.
2: Yeah, so it's more of a team effort slash a team what's it called when you kind of like terrorize someone into doing something that you want them uh, to do. I don't <laughs> know. Pressure yeah, bullying. bullying. Well the bullying. United States yeah. is not known as being a bully, right? Yeah. right?
0: I mean but it'd be bullying for like a totally different like people can call Trump being a bully with terrorists as well and now we were right.
2: just
0: do the same thing but for different reasons, right? Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. The the reason being saving the planet. <laughs>
1: But yeah, <laughs> I can just imagine giving someone a swirly for yeah, the planet. Yeah. Like this that. is
2: for the planet. Yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, God, we still have so many to go through. I'm sorry. You have, you have a logical order to the progress that you're bringing to this, though, right? Sort
2: of. I mean, yeah. the, so some other people who deserve an honorable mention here are Elizabeth Warren, of course, who was the first to come out the gate with a really great client plan, which was um, no drilling on public lands, public lands. Are a big factor in, in emissions in the United States, and uh, ceasing drilling on those lands would be pretty big. That was her first plan. And then she had another plan coming out recently. Actually, she had one about the military, which wasn't received very well on Twitter, but as we know, Twitter is not the universe. It's just one small piece of it. So she had a plan where she wants to green the military. The criticism of that was that, why not just make the military smaller? We spend billions every year on, on that particular sector mm-hmm. of the United States. So um, for various reasons, that's not... Necessarily realistic, or it won't play well with all voters. Clearly, and Warren's whole family was in the army. I mean, like not whole family, but a lot of them were enlisted in various times of her life. So, so she has a, a connection to that that community.
1: Is not the United States military one of the biggest emitters? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. So greening it would be great.
1: Yeah, it's a weird pairing, though. I could see why. Insofar as there's ever a conflict between military preparedness and uh, the environment. I think but there, it, it would be a fight, definitely.
0: Th- there's a, a a large, I mean, not a large push. I don't know. I don't know how many people in the military are talking about this, but working the utility, I did hear and talk to a few people who are definitely interested in seeing how do we integrate more renewables, energy storage, microgrids. So greening up the military is a thing, and I don't think that it's like necessarily not happening
1: we've uh talked about this a little bit too and we would love to have a future episode about the strategic implications of climate change and how the military has been adapting oh, what's yeah. What's the book we read? Uh, the, the Rolling Stone author, Jeff Jeff Goodall, The Water Gooding? Will Come?
0: Oh, the water, yeah.
1: The section in there about the military and how they have to not tell politicians the whole story of like, we need to raise these uh, these military peers. Oh, why? Oh, just in case, just just to make sure <laughs> of nothing happens. It's just safer that way. Oh, okay. But whenever the military has mentioned uh, climate change, they've actually, they're practical people. Yes. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. Well yeah, I mean, if you want to know what the smart thing to do about climate change is you need to look at the insurance industry and uh, the military, the Pentagon because they've been prepping like they know this is coming, both sectors, both industries and uh, and the military, I mean already there are certain bases that are underwater and, and are, are prone to flooding and that's been a big issue for them. Wow. Okay, going back.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay. So Elizabeth Warren. Yes. More to say?
2: Oh, uh, uh, yes.
1: Always more. Always. Zoya. You just, you just got it all, all this knowledge in your brain.
2: There is more. Oh, it's just floating around in there. I don't even, <laughs> I'm surprised that it's coming out this way. Yes, there's okay. Her most recent plan is sort of like another really ambitious uh, thing. So first she had public lands, then she had the military and now she has this new sort of it's like a Marshall plan slash GI bill. So she wants to invest in low carbon technologies and push those out to the rest of the world. So we're not just saying, "Hey, if you don't like get your emissions down, There's going to be hell to pay. It's like, oh, here's the tools that you need to actually accomplish that. So we're not just demanding the world from people. And people are like, we don't know how to do this. Yeah. But people, I mean So,
1: Brief side note, is it interesting to you that there's all this language that's being cribbed from like the Marshall Plan is after World War II, Europe's Mm -hmm. destroyed, the Green New Deal, obviously, the New Deal. Is there just like this, this like returned, there's like a way to legitimize these policies that seem new and scary, but it's like, no, it's like this other thing that we've done.
2: (laughs) I feel like, yeah, well, American nostalgia. I mean, that's a powerful force, right? Yeah, Trump Um, Trump
1: and Bernie reminds me of like consensus capitalism of the 50s mm sort of like the days and like Trump, whatever his ideal is, is definitely in the past somewhere.
2: Yeah, well, I think it's natural to look back in the past and be like, what happened there that we can use now? And that's what the architects, so one of the articles I'm most proud of that I wrote this year was about how the Green New Deal, AOC's Green New Deal, not the one that's, there's various versions of the Green New Deal springing up right now, which is, I, I think, the AOC camp thinks is pretty cool. Imitation is the highest form of flattery. It is. <laughs> but basically, I, I think that the people who are building out that plan for her, the, the one that's going to be introduced in Congress, are using, like, they told me that they rely heavily on, on not only the metaphor, but actually what actually worked back then to create the policy now. So they're, they're like kind of rapidly figuring out the policy. As we speak, it's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have about a few more months to roll that out. So, anyway, so back to E. e- Warren. She's got a GI Bill and, and a lot of the candidates who have released plans so far have some version of this where, you know, it's like put Americans to work and in the green economy. And, and that's sort of a, a big element of her plan, too. And now we can leave her be for the time being.
1: God, let's just keep working down this list. Well, I don't know. We, we didn't really give Bernie his fair shake yet. Oh, no,
2: You know, I'm mad at Bernie. Yeah. Whoa. where is his climate plan? I know that he's a climate hawk. I know that because he has a long history mm-hmm. of championing environmental legislation. And he talks about it a lot and he he inspired the Sunrise movement uh, in some way and the Justice Democrats that that's another movement that you don't know about.
0: Maybe he's just like strategically waiting because people are talking about climate and he's like, yeah, but I'm going to
2: I'm going to do it when people are talking about something else. Be like, ha ha ha. Here's my amazing Joe Biden.
1: I was going to pulling a Beyonce. Just dropping that album. Uh, (laughs) Uh,
2: Thank you for reminding me about that. That was a good time. Uh. It's possible that's what he's doing. So uh, something funny that happened that I don't know if I should really say, cause it's just a hunch that I have, but Beto O'Rourke who came out like swinging with this like crazy ambitious for him, I believe climate plan, especially because in the past, you know, he's a Texan. It's a Texas boy. He's mm-hmm. gotten all this money from fossil fuels throughout his, his political career. So, and that was a point of, of tension uh, early on. Mm-hmm. He had promised to take no contributions from fossil fuel companies, he took this pledge called the No Fossil Fuel Money Pledge. It's like a standard now for for candidates. The the groups who are pushing that also Sunrise and this group called Oil Change USA are pushing that pledge very hard. It's basically promising that you won't take donations over 200 bucks from fossil fuel executives, CEOs, people who are employed in the fossil fuel industry, by the way, like just workers, are allowed to donate. It's the higher ups who are precluded from doing that. So Anyway, sorry. Back to the thing. O'Rourke came out with his plan, and he said, "We're going net zero by 2050." And Jay Inslee was like, "I'm sure, like seething. <laughs> like, we got to come up with our plan now." And of course, Jay Inslee has been researching his plan for a long time, and that's what he mentioned when I talked to him. And then he comes out and he says, "We're going to go net zero by 2045." And I'm convinced that he was just like, "Damn it, Peter O'Rourke went up me. We're going to go five years earlier," and that's like <laughs> what he did. But yeah, across the board, 2050, I mean, only Jay Lee has said 2045 so far, but, but just mid-century is what people are shooting for, for net zero emissions. And that's what Work did. So I feel like we've talked about Work enough. We've touched on him, Biden. Oh, Booker is worth talking about a little bit. All right, let's do it. He has a environmental justice plan. And um, he's like a touch controversial because he is pro-nuclear energy. Gasp. Can you believe it? We write a lot about nuclear energy at Grist, and it makes our readers very angry.
1: Oh yeah, it's uh, Nathaniel's beat, right? Yes. Yeah,
2: Nathaniel Johnson. He's our. He's a, a veteran Grist writer, and he writes about nuclear and food and all that good stuff. And yeah, we get a lot of hate. I was uh, actually managing the Grist inbox for a little bit as an intern. <laughs>
1: Spooky. That, that does not sound fun.
2: <laughs> it was not, especially after we dropped a a, a Nate original cover story on nuclear. Yeah, I got a lot of hate mail. <laughs>
1: Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, Cory, Cory Booker, he's okay with nuclear. Okay with nuclear. He didn't see Chernobyl. Yeah,
2: he didn't. That's like another whole topic. Yeah. Oh. So in his plan, the EPA gets a boost, and he basically is going to go back and and fix all the stuff that Trump tried to roll back, and he's going to have a pay for pollution policy with companies, and going to shore up our drinking water supplies, and uh, that's sort of a little overview of what Booker is going to do. Okay. Interesting. And uh, who else we got?
1: um budajish
2: oh yeah mayor pete Mm -hmm. he speaks seven languages conversationally do you guys know that and english really well (laughs) Um.
1: (laughs) are you contrasting that against something else what
2: (laughs) no (laughs) mayor pete so we actually talked to to mayor pete in the early days of his campaign we got him on the phone because he had this media strategy that beta Rook could really take some notes on beta rook if you guys don't know has been traveling the country driving himself around talking to voters and has somewhat isolated himself from the national media as a result of that. So he's now realizing, oh, shoot, I need to be talking to those big TV stations about what I want to do. That's, that's way more effective. So that's what he's doing now. Mayor Pete, on the other hand, has been doing that from the get go. He takes any and every media opportunity, which is probably the reason why he talked to Grist. Maybe he also loves Grist. I don't know. He talked to our, our reporter, Kate Yoder, about climate change and talked about what he did in South Bend, Indiana, and, He basically did this like he spent millions of dollars in in South Bend on uh, on shoring up various environmental things and doing climate resilience and all that stuff. So so he has a little bit of a record with that, but he hasn't super come out with a a wide proposal yet. He does have a climate platform, though, on his website.
1: Okay, and then uh, Michael Bennett.
2: Yeah, Michael Bennett, uh, the guy from Colorado. I have only a a few notes on on him because he really is not super in the – I haven't – in case it's not clear, I've been writing a lot about Joe Biden, Warren, Sanders, Inslee, work a little bit, and these other guys who are polling – low i mean James Lee's polling low as well but he also happens to be in washington state so that's why we cover him we're close to him and can get an interview with him but yeah michael bennett uh haven't covered as much but he released a sort of he's sort of like a centrist candidate a little bit as far as people have been positioning candidates and where they stand um he released a farming centric package and yeah hasn't said a lot about uh the no fossil fuel money pledge or climate debate he seems to be sort of it's safe at the moment. We'll see whether he comes out swinging with anything else in the coming months, but I, I somehow doubt it.
1: We saw Colorado had some initiative at the state level for blockchain and agriculture and tracking, and it um, seems like they are doing some quite progressive things in, in ag, so it doesn't surprise me.
2: Yeah, they also just got a new governor, Jared Polis, who is uh, a climate hawk and a climate champion, and he's been putting in place some pretty ambitious proposals. Colorado, the AG there is also, or sorry, no, Boulder is suing a bunch of oil companies over climate change as well. So there's like a lot going on in Colorado. Hmm.
1: Well, fair enough. We're making good progress here. Good, Nice, mm-hmm. nice job just dispatching all of these. John Delaney, you're up next.
2: John Delaney. So he's sort of a dark horse. He has a, a $4 trillion climate plan. Now, that sounds like a lot, but you no, know, compared to Jay Inslee's $9 trillion, it's peanuts. All of those numbers
1: <laughs> are meaningless to me because I've never seen anywhere close to that amount of money. Really? No, you haven't? No. I'm just, oh. I would like to, but <laughs> just haven't gotten there yet. I don't yet. know. That
2: scares me. Trillion? I don't even, I honestly can't, I also can't fathom what that even means. It,
1: it's sort of meaningless uh, right, in money, some ways, but okay. Just, it's all made so up. So Jay Inslee has uh, nine and that's the most
2: yeah, and I think much. that's the most, yeah. Okay, yeah. we're at
1: $4 trillion right now for
2: Delaney. Delaney, $4 trillion. He has a price on carbon plan. Now, some candidates have been a little hesitant to do the price on carbon thing. There's various reasons for that. Price on carbon is also sometimes called a fee, also sometimes called a tax which voters do not like. So Inslee has been, I think, I mean, when I interviewed him, he was like, yeah, we're pivoting a little bit away from taxes for the time being, carbon taxes. And I was like, smart. Mm-hmm. He introduced it, there was like six different initiatives in Washington state and they all failed. So mm-hmm. <laughs> clearly taxes are not super popular. So they
0: all failed and there's a broad desire to support something like this too, right? So that's what's interesting.
2: Yeah, that's mm-hmm. what's so weird. I was like, what's going on? Including
0: myself, right? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, yes, I want to do something. I want to control carbon. I'm not going to vote for that.
2: Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would love to talk about that more post-podcast. I'm so fascinated by that decision. So he has a fortune in price on, yeah, yeah, he's got a price on carbon. Sorry, he's got a carbon capture technology situation going on. He wants to invest, and this is right up you guys' alley. The, the ears are perking up right here at the table. I see it. <sighs> Okay, so he wants to invest in something called direct air capture, which is basically where you separate CO two from the air, right? Whoa! Do you know about that?
1: No, first time I'm hearing about it. <laughs> no, you're kidding. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I want you to explain it for the audience. I'm, play, I'm playing dumb for their benefit.
2: Oh no! I please don't make me do that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm gonna force you to learn everything. And then soon you'll just be covering carbon removal.
2: Can you? Oh God! Can you give my editors would love that? Can you give me uh, that like the elevator explanation of what that? I think really that was is? a
1: pretty decent explanation. It's just being able to suck carbon dioxide out of the air separate. It from atmospheric gas as a whole and yeah. uh, either store it in the ground, the ground. or in, in a built environment or materials or right. somehow store it in some permanent or quasi permanent fashion. Do, do you agree?
0: Yeah, and some people reuse it due to fracking. So there's just a there's many categories to direct air capture, um, whether you're storing it, reusing it, pumping it to get more oil or enhanced oil recovery EOR. And if you want to follow more and learn more, you got to listen to the carbon removal newsroom. Podcast, which is also available at nori.com <laughs> You're
1: just trying to flatter me over here
0: for well, my extra. I, I love the. Po- I love all of our episodes, and CRN is great because it's super. They're short little stories regarding this stuff. So if you're listening because Zoya like passed you this podcast, check out more on the carbon removal newsroom.
1: Yeah, there's a ton of direct air capture episodes over there. I don't know why it's so heavily slanted relative to over here where it's so much ag. But anyways, it sounds like Delaney, John Delaney, maybe we should try and get you on the podcast if you're you're a big if booster for this. If you're listening,
2: John, <coughs> they want you on your podcast, on their podcast. Also, I should mention that he wants to fund it through ending fossil fuel subsidies. Uh, and he also wants to invest, I think it's like 1.5 billion annually in, in new tech.
1: This is This just basic research, that, that sort of funding? Or do yeah,
2: you know, I think like, you know, R&D. He wants to, do, yeah, that's the plan. Wow. And he also wants to do a uh, 1 trillion for... Wow, another 1 trillion for carbon capture. I'm like, I can't believe I wrote this down. Plus, he wants to shore up the Department of Energy, and support them too. So, yeah, he he seems like the perfect candidate for your podcast.
1: Well, we're going to be rent seeking and trying to get as many benefits as we can out of the political trough. You cool with that, Alessandra? <laughs> sure.
0: <laughs> okay. I have I have so many questions. This is nuts that we tried to do this podcast. I know.
1: <laughs> this, is, this is not the best organized. I tried my best listening, no, this is it is, is a tough the one. best
0: organized you could do. It's just like an am impossible all, feat. My, my, am I all over the place? No,
1: you've no. saved the show by keeping... It has you a nice flow me. to it. It mm-hmm. makes sense. We came back and got the stuff that we didn't get. We got one left here on this list, and uh, we actually did a carbon removal newsroom with him, with Andrew Yang. Cool. Right. Um, Which I thought was really interesting because he very heavily favored geoengineering and solar radiation management as opposed to... Yeah. He, he didn't really want to talk about soil or direct air capture or anything else. It was...
2: I know. Well, he's such a weirdo. And I mean that in, in an endearing way, and uh, I find him very cool. He wants to, like, eliminate the penny. Have you heard about that initiative of his?
1: No, but they're 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 kind of just gross. He's like they're
2: pointless and yeah. I don't know if he thinks they they're also gross cost but I believe more, it. right? To oh yeah, maybe. I've heard this. It's too. It
0: costs more like the raw materials and to create a penny than a penny is worth.
2: What's the emissions per penny? <laughs>
0: You dust my face. What?
1: Go (laughs) go write that article Uh, right now.
0: Let's get rid of all all cash (laughs) because (laughs) it's trees. Which is actually another thought. Cash is trees. So, I mean, one of the things that, like, kind of just is at the top of my mind listening to you and, and looking at this wonderful cheat sheet paper that you've been pointing to. It literally
2: back. says cheat sheet. Text.
0: Yeah, it's got, it's, it reminds <laughs> me of college a little bit when, <laughs> when I was like in engineering and you had to fit as many formulas as it's you like could on one page. Exactly,
2: yeah, that's yeah. what I felt like doing it.
0: Is like, yeah, like was John Delaney, get rid of the fossil fuel subsidies. Is that who was yeah. down for that? Those, Most of them
2: are down for that, by the way. Those
0: them. things sound great, like saying them. And then I think, okay, how would that actually happen? And then I get a little scared because I'm like, wait, well, our economy is still running off of oil. All of our cars and equipment still running off of oil. So so long as it's done with some type of transition and not like all of a sudden gas prices are going to skyrocket, I think that would just be so harmful to so many people. And so it's it's and I have like that
1: Paris thing having with all the protests.
0: With the, right. The, the yellow the, jackets. Mm-hmm. Oh, just, did you ask us that daily episode this morning?
2: No, the daily I don't know what the daily. is. Oh, it's like the most popular podcast ever.
0: Obviously, not that popular. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like the New York Times. It's Michael Barbaro. There again, everybody Barbaro. has a podcast now. So
1: <laughs> we only listen to the nastiest and grisliest of true crime
2: podcasts oh, in our free time. Have you guys heard Bundyville?
0: <laughs> no. Okay, we're sorry, we're getting sorry, sorry, off. Sorry. There are so many good podcasts. Anyways, yeah, I, I'm hearing these things and they all mm. sound great. And then I just realize like it's so much more complicated and. I'm curious now, I have not been political, like I stated earlier, because it's been a little bit overwhelming and I've just got to focus on the what can we do part. You know, you mentioned with E. Warren, which I didn't know was a thing that we call her that, Um, (laughs) that she's like, okay, you have to do these things and then providing solutions. I'm just so focused on Nori and running and starting a company and a startup, like exactly what you imagine, totally consuming. So I want to spend my free time gardening or doing something else. But
1: is she a bad person for that?
0: No, <laughs> no. I'm sorry, I, just I to, to I, cut I, you off. I had I to make a joke. Even, yeah. It wasn't even that good of one. <laughs> I just need to like unplug, like on the weekends, just like silence trails and garden and plants. Anyways, and so now I want to do some. You've inspired me. This was helpful, and I want to do some more digging into like what are they actually proposing? Because if it's something so unreasonably angry and not helpful to help us get there where where it sounds nice on paper, like, you know, Jay Inslee coming out with five years sooner or nine trillion versus four. Like, I hear these numbers. I'm like, yeah, but is it achievable? Is what this amazing plan that you're saying achievable and not going to cause other unseen large consequences? Yeah, you
2: seem a little inordinately uh, worried about big oil. They're going to be fine. (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh, no, no, that's interesting to hear you say that that's not at all what I'm worried so the, about big let's, oil. <laughs> let's
2: talk about subsidies for a minute. Yeah. A lot of the candidates have, have said to eliminates. eliminate. Wait. I'm sorry. I really have to interrupt you. I'm not worried about big oil. I'm okay. sure they're going to be fine. I'm worried about everybody who uses oil, which yeah. is pretty much the world. Right. So, okay. For example, so let's take a pause on subsidies then. What about a carbon tax? So, that would raise prices ostensibly. The carbon tax that, for example, Delaney is proposing is a revenue-neutral carbon tax, which means that Americans get the money back annually or quarterly in the form of a check. So basically, the money that's raised by the tax goes back to the taxpayer. A tax that's being proposed right now that that would do that, according to people who are proposing that tax, would eliminate like 90% of emissions by 2050 that the U.S. produces. That's pretty big. And according to them, there's no... like that's not really onerous on the that's like there's no it's not hard for the taxpayer to keep up with that because they get that money back in the form of a check. For a family of four it's like two thousand dollars a year, which is a lot. Andrew Yang is proposing a universal income where every person gets like thousand mm-hmm. bucks a month. So yeah, anyway, yes. I mean, France is a really scary situation. I mean, people are, it's not just some fringe people who are upset about the rising prices of, of different things, namely oil. It's also, it's, it's like more than 50% of people there are feeling angry about what's going on. Anyway. Yes. I don't I, think you're championing big oil, but I, I'm nodding and I'm smiling at her. You. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah.
1: Great. Yeah. There's, there's a lot there to say, but we should keep going because we still have a wild card.
2: Bill Weld.
1: Bill Weld. What is... This is... I haven't really tracked it that closely, but last time I heard from him, he was running for the Libertarian Party nomination, or he was he was the mm-hmm. VP to Gary Johnson, mm-hmm. right? Okay. So now he's back, and he's back in the Republican Party, former governor of Massachusetts, mm-hmm. and he's challenging Trump from inside the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. How do you rank these odds?
2: <laughs> not good. <laughs> not good. Around the same as Jay Inslee's. He... Yeah. Bill Weld. I have not reported super in-depth or really at all on Bill Weld, I'm mostly just following him because I'm curious what he's up to. He is challenging Trump and he sort of is of a mind that Republicans are so fed up with Trump's antics and his the fact that he's so unpredictable and and wild and all over the place that, that they want the Republican Party back. They want like someone who's going to plod along and do the right thing for the Republicans But not tweet so often. That's like something that he takes issue with, the tweeting, oh, the yeah. tweeting. <laughs> So, yeah. And I think that he, uh, from what I remember reading about him, he is not like anti-environment per se. He's more of a mind that, you know, he's probably like an all of the above energy approach guy, (laughs) which means that he, you know, he's like, we don't need to transition off fossil fuels immediately, but we do need to, we need to transition off of them. And he has not gone so far, if I remember correctly, as endorsing a carbon tax, but it seems like he definitely wants to do something to approach the issue and whether that's enough is, is, remains to be seen. His chances are very low. It's rare, you know, an incumbent, especially if the economy is good, you guys know this, wins. That's what you learn. I learned that in my political science class 101.
1: It's an open question now. I keep saying stuff about the bond market and who knows how well the economy will yeah. be up to the election. Right. But yeah, it's hard to unseat an incumbent on that as far as I know yeah. too.
2: especially within the party. I mean...
1: Yes, there has to have been examples of that.
2: Yeah, so I'm, again... I just read about it uh, not too long ago, but I think it's like one or two people have tried to do that before and has not been successful.
1: It's never been successful. I
2: don't know. Please don't quote me on that. I need to look it up.
1: Okay. Yeah, I I don't know. But you're
2: on a podcast. Yeah. (laughs) Please don't. Please don't air
0: quote me on
1: that. (laughs) Too late. Um, That's okay. Um, I have a question that's a little off topic. I'm sure you have more you'd like to say. We're running near the end, but. How are you feeling? You want anything else?
0: Oh no, I, this has been great. I'm just gonna have to follow up and
2: have some more conversations.
1: That's great. <laughs> Did you watch Chernobyl?
2: No, I haven't seen <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> it. Okay, but I I've read the it. criticism of it
1: for portraying nuclear in a certain yeah. way. Oh, yeah, yeah, bad nuclear. I only watched. I think I watched the first two episodes. I need to finish the show, but I thought it was brilliant. I was surprised Craig Mazin wrote it too. As a, I listened to his podcast back oh. in the day as a screenwriter, but mostly done a lot of comedy. Huh. So, uh, like, dark, really? dark comedy yeah well worth your time though, but I'm sure it freaked people out on nuclear more than they necessarily needed to be freaked out about it. yeah, uh, it's possible. Uh, I don't know that much about it, but just to clarify I'm not, I'm not anti-nuclear. I think there's I stuff to look forward to there. I'm thinking to myself, a oh, whole, well, it's time to end the show let's, <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's get out of here. So is there anything else that we should know about and where, where can people find your work?
2: Oh, you can visit www.grist.grist dot org not dot com dot org i don't know what chris.com is it's like some weird website probably
1: some milner who's trying to sell right. <laughs> their wares. yeah okay yeah. um and then you're on twitter
2: i am at z tierstein. hopefully my last name is spelled correctly on the podcast page it doesn't happen very often which is honestly usually fine unless you're trying to find me on twitter in which case it's e-i-e-i-n not i-e
1: sure so if you'd like to yell at Zoya argue with her about something you don't know very much about but yet believe very strongly <laughs> that's social media I, I do like that Bill, Bill Weld's uh, criticisms about Trump were about social media because every friend I have that posts too much on social media uh, I've always been like you you would be better serving your friends and your social relations by cooling it a little bit
0: everything has a perfect window right you can't mm-hmm. post too little that like you're this weird creeper when you do post something I'm like why and or you can't be overposting. I don't need to know that you're tweeting on the toilet.
2: Yeah,
1: true. Trump is definitely tweeting on the toilet. On <laughs> a
2: Jeez, golden bank. toilet,
1: Gu- guaranteed. Yeah, like um, that's probably where he gets like the most time to himself. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: That's,
1: that's my that's astute fair. political analysis and why I get paid the big bucks, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. <laughs> the
2: trillions of dollars. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> the trillions of dollars. <laughs>
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. Those numbers. Did you watch? Oh God, this is this is garbage. But we're gonna do it anyways. Did you watch SNL growing up? Yeah. Did you remember that one where uh, Bill Clinton ran a surplus run one year, and he was gonna make a movie with it? Like, <laughs> no, one, but $1 billion dollar surplus movie. <laughs> it's gonna be great. Playboy <laughs> bunnies flying
2: F sixteen. Wow, your accent's really good. <laughs> that was okay. so good.
1: You can only do it if you do like the little thumb thing that he did. Yeah, you, do. you see him
2: I do wish you it, could too. See it
1: You bite your lip. That's it. So, yeah. Anyways, uh, a lot of garbage time at the end of this episode. (laughs) That's
2: why Uh, editing exists, right?
1: Yeah. Uh, If you like the show, definitely give us a a rating review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Share it out with your friends. Get the word out. Follow Zoya on on Twitter. Uh, Check out Grist. They do a lot of great articles. And thank you so much for listening.